You're listening to the Mind Your Business Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Joan Rosenberg about how to create more confidence, resilience, and how to finally speak up. This you're not going to want to miss, so stay tuned. Hi, I'm James Wedmore, and with 13 years online, I've built my business to over $9 million in sales per year. And this is the first non-business business podcast that shows you how to apply the principles of spirituality, energy, and mindset to create true and lasting success all from the inside out. This is the Mind Your Business Podcast. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mind Your Business Podcast. I am your host, James Wedmore. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome. For the past, gee, I don't know, over four years now, I've been sharing weekly episodes speaking specifically to entrepreneurs that already know that your business is a direct reflection of you. And that if you want to grow your business, it starts with growing you. And boy, ain't that the truth. And today, I have brought you another extraordinary human being here to help you do just that. Create a life you love, live your life by design, and it really starts with so much of what we're going to get into with today's episode with Dr. Joan Rosenberg. This was unbelievable. I just got off this interview with her. I met her. I kind of tell the story of how we met just completely randomly and started diving into her book. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm going to finish it. I'm about a third of the way through. It resonates with me so much, so much of what I've learned over the years, not just in other books, but in life as experience. And she's going to give you a three-step, unbelievably simple, practical application to what I like to call healing. I I don't think that's what she uses, but transmuting, processing, and working through emotions, in order to step in and experience more confidence and more resilience. I really believe if you listen closely to this episode, you're going to find secrets, what we could call like secrets to success. And I really firmly believe, and I'm not going to reveal any of it away in this intro, but if you listen closely, you're going to hear like the secret to success in this. And I know everyone scoffs at that, but it really is can be as simple as how she explains it. It has absolutely been my experience. What she's sharing is like, you know, I can look back, and you probably can as well, look back at it as evidence of your, oh my gosh, that really is, holy cow, it's as simple as that. And what she shares will give you the opportunity for awareness and distinctions of certain places, things, events, and emotions associated with them that will allow you to have more power more of your power back, more confidence, more of that resilience. And then we have this really special conversation at the end about speaking up and how important that is. So good, so good. And I cannot wait for your feedback on this one because it's gonna rock your world. And I'll probably bring her back. We had to kind of wrap it up because I had another podcast and we were going a, you know, a bit over on time and we both were like, okay, we need to bring you back on. So please let me know too, if you'd like to bring Dr. Rosenberg back on. So let me give you a quick bio on today's guest, you know, just so you know who you're listening to, right? So first of all, Dr. Joan Rosenberg is a best-selling author. She's a consultant and she's a master clinician. She's a cutting edge psychologist who's known as an innovative thinker, acclaimed speaker and trainer. She's a two-time TEDx speaker, and she's a member of the association of transformational leaders. 
She's been recognized for her thought leadership and influence in personal development. And she's been featured in the documentaries, I Am, The Miracle Mindset, Pursuing Happiness, and The Hidden Epidemic. She's been featured on CNN, American Morning, ABC, CBS, Fox, PBS, and the OWN Networks, uh, as well as you know numerous radio interviews. She is a California licensed psychologist, and she speaks on how to build confidence, emotional strength, and resilience, how to achieve emotional conversation and relationship mastery, how to integrate neuroscience and psychotherapy, and suicide prevention. She's an Air Force veteran, a professor of graduate psychology at Pepperdine University in Los Angeles, and her latest book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity, was released in 2019. So it would behoove you, now that you know the very impressive resume of Dr. Rosenberg, to listen closely to what she has to say. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's play that interview for you right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Dr. Joan Rosenberg. Dr. Rosenberg, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, James. It's yeah. an honor to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show. It's kind of a happenstance synchronistic moment, which how this all unfolded. I was at breakfast with a mutual friend, the Abrahams. Our yeah. listeners know Mel. And you just like pulled up. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and I think you had it. Did you have a copy of your book in your hand? I did. I was, uh, I think it was a copy from Mel and a copy, oh no, a copy from Mel and a copy for Brendan. And Mel was going to see Brendan and we kept missing for him to get that directly to him. So yeah. Uh, so that's, I pulled up to be a delivery person at that point. Uh, I know. And I was just, I don't know if I said anything at the time or if I followed up. I can't remember. It was now, it seems like so long ago, but yeah, I reached out to see if you could come on the show. And so here you are. <laughs> I am. <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, I am. So I'm very excited for what we're going to dive into today. As I was telling you, I'll tell our listeners, like I was saying before the show, is uh, I've dove right into your book. I'm about a third of the way through already. I absolutely love it. I think our listeners are going to love it. But let's start out. Can you just share a little bit about yourself first to kind of lay the groundwork? What do you do? Who do you help? How do you help them? I actually have multiple roles. I'm a psychologist by training. I'm a graduate psychology professor. I teach at Pepperdine University in Los Angeles, and I have a private practice. I consult, I speak, and have been doing on the interview side of podcasts, and at one point was also on the hosting side of podcasts. Mm. So, and I obviously just wrote the book too. So, the 90 Seconds to a Life You Love book. Yeah. So, I, I, I do a lot of different things. When it comes to what you do, like what, what would you say is, the, and this might be a hard question to answer, but sure. when you boil it down, what would you say are the most common problems that you help solve for people? <laughs> I would say it's broad range, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's, uh, it, but it's oftentimes it's tied into what, what I know that we'll get into is the kind of the uh, central part of the conversation. People come in for difficulty with confidence or they don't feel mm -hmm. like they have resilience. Their relationships are going off the rails and they've withdrawn. They're going through depression that most times in, in my book is what I would call soulful depression, not really a clinical depression. People are anxious. So they want to pursue things and they're reluctant to pursue things. So it's, it's really a wide variety, but a lot of those get boiled down to what we'll be covering mm -hmm. in terms yeah. of uh, difficult, ultimately difficulty with 
their thinking and difficulty with how they handle feelings. And so the title of Dr. Rosenberg's book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, really starts out with breaking down a process that I believe we're going to get into in a bit, the Rosenberg Reset, which really literally can take as little as 90 seconds for you to, um, I don't know, what is the right word? To heal or process a lot of the negative and disempowering emotions that we that we find ourselves in? So I would say process, process feeling. Yeah. And then there's other things that we can do with it. But yeah, the 90 seconds is the, is the idea of being able to move through kind of short-lived feeling experiences mm-hmm. so that we actually can lean into our unpleasant feelings. So I don't call them negative or bad. That's good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually call them unpleasant, uncomfortable, unsettling, or unsomething, but mm-hmm. I rarely, if ever, will call them bad or negative. And that's language I want people to change because yeah. even naming it bad or negative, people want to move away from it. So if they go, oh, it's unpleasant or uncomfortable, then the reframe actually allows them to move a little bit more towards it. Yes. And getting comfortable with our uncomfortableness is the key. Exactly. So this is a three-step process you guys can all start doing within minutes here on this call. Um, And I'm very excited for um, us to share that with you. But before we do that, I'd love to know just a little bit more about you, Joan. Like, How did you get into this this world and stumble upon even this process and all the work that (laughs) you do? Where did it all begin? Yeah, where did it all begin? It's, you know, it started in my childhood, mm, yep. <laughs> uh, which is true. I would love to tell you otherwise, but it started in my childhood. I started out as a really shy, sensitive child. And as many, felt like I didn't fit in and felt like I didn't belong. And I would look over to my peers who seemed to all be hanging together, laughing, having a good time, sense of belonging, all that. And boy, that just wasn't me. Mm. That was a kind of a painful start. And so as I got older, and so this is, and, and I was bullied as, as part of my growing up experience. So we just layered that right on top. It's not, it's not a pretty picture. Yeah. So that what ends up happening as I'm looking at them and it's like the question as I got older was, how do I develop confidence or how does one develop confidence? Because I surely did not have it at that point. And even if I wanted to walk close to them, confidence isn't contagious. So it didn't matter how Mm. close I stood to them. I wasn't going to get it. Yeah. So that was really kind of an early driving question for me. And then what ended up happening is I got into my professional life. I started to notice that as, as difficult as it is for people to think in ways that are harsh and critical and damaging to themselves and constricting, what I found is that one's ability to deal with unpleasant feelings was even worse. And, 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 say, so, and say that again, because I feel like this is a real key takeaway, because you, okay. you, you talk in the book about the correlation to that. So maybe let me give you a little background piece on that one. Mm-hmm. When I'm working with somebody, I'm listening for what they think about, how they think it, so the thinking patterns for that. Mm how they experience and express feeling and how they take action or whether they take action. So I'm listening at the minimum for those five things Mm -hmm. or six, whatever it is. And so what I noticed early on was that, again, as bad as someone's thinking, what they were thinking and and that their thinking patterns, as bad as those were and as constricting as those were for people, 
what I realized is that how they didn't handle unpleasant feelings was worse. Yeah. Right. So and, how they handled it. So it, right. they just didn't, they didn't want to go near it. They wanted right. to disconnect and distract from it. Their, their that, relationship to a, an unpleasant, cause we're not going to say bad or negative. <laughs> but awesome. Yeah. They're, Faster. they're, the relationship that they had with that, like if they were avoiding it, suppressing it, ignoring it. Yeah. Right. That's right. huge. So then the second question for me mm-hmm. as I, as I, my professional life unfolded was that, okay, then what makes it difficult for someone to handle unpleasant feelings? And then as the time went on, so now we're, now we're looking at decades as time went on, what I realized is that the answer to the second question about unpleasant feelings is the first answer to the question about confidence that mm. actually what it takes to handle unpleasant feelings is the foundational piece of confidence. So, okay. So let's start right there. What is your definition of confidence? Confidence in my world is the deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome of whatever you face or whatever you pursue. Mm. And the two key words are emotional outcome. Mm-hmm. I love that. So let's talk about that. What do you okay. mean by emotional outcome? Okay. So my, my work is, the one body of my work is built around one's capacity to experience and move through eight unpleasant feelings. If we go right now to the Rosenberg Reset, that'll take us kind of embedded in that, that whole approach. So. Right. So the idea here is that it, one can remember the kind of the formula for dealing with these unpleasant feelings or handling the emotional outcome with the formula of one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. Mm. So the one choice is a choice of awareness as opposed to avoidance. And I mean, the, the list for avoidance gets pretty long. So think substance use, whether it's alcohol or other drugs, think shopping, think sex, think pornography, think social media, think, think having feelings about having feelings, think harsh self-criticism, think anxiety. Those are all distractions. And the list of the chaos is one. That's, so the effort to prevent feeling is another. So there's, there's just, the list goes on. So avoidance is out. Mm-hmm. Distraction, disconnection, out. My encouragement is that people choose awareness, choose leaning into the feeling. Can I ask a question there? Because I love this. Because you talk about in the book going from avoidance to awareness. So this is the first step in the Rosenberg three-step reset process. Right, right. My question too, and I hope I'm not asking this too soon because I know what the other steps are, is is this choice happen in the moment? Or is this kind of like, you know, because sometimes like when you're in it, like whether we want to call it like a you've been triggered, you're upset that you don't feel like you're in any control. Is it about developing that mastery to be able to like catch it in that moment? Can you expand upon that? Yeah. Yes. I think we develop habits over time. So if we just rely on the habit, then we'll just go towards it. So a memory that popped up, I was so to your point, I was teaching about this idea of distraction and disconnection. And one of the students in my graduate class, this is 20 years ago or better, said that she would drink Coca-Cola to check out. She would just pounded, I mean, and to the point of fainting. Wow. And right, because she'd get so dehydrated. And so we were talking about it and it turns out she had a Coca-Cola can in front of her. 
as we were talking about this, <laughs> she starts to reach yep. for the Coke can to go take it. And but in that moment, because we were talking about it, there's this moment of recognition and then moment of awareness of, oh, my God, I'm about to do it again. Wow. Right. So that's the same with food. People, people will eat to check out, but they'll do it mindlessly until they choose into the awareness. Like, oh, wait a minute. What am I stuffing down? What am I using food to disconnect from as opposed to staying present to what's really going on? So, yes, we do get into habit patterns, some. And then the key is then you have to start to notice your habit pattern yes. to then be able to choose into the awareness. Well, and this is why I think, I think this process is so simple. And I always want to remind my listeners that don't mistake simplicity for not important and not valuable. Because I think as we go through this, what you just touched upon is the most important piece because we can know this three steps in our head. But until you start applying it in your own life, it really will have no value right. to anybody. Right, right. And it takes such a level at first of discipline, that discipline of awareness, because it really is a, an automatic state. She's not thinking when she's grabbing the Coke. And how many times That's can we right. think about that when I'm like, I mean, I can't, when as you're sharing this, I'm bringing up times like my, my environment has changed as I've gone, you know, now I'm in a different living in a different house right now in Sedona. But I, I noticed even just in hearing that, like my automatic thing of coming home from work and just immediately plopping down on the couch and turning on the TV and like, how did I get here? Like an hour of TV later. And I'm like, wow, how automatic so much of our day can be. Right, right. Yeah. And awareness is the first step in personal growth across the board. Yeah. So, uh, and, and changing things or leading to change. So whether it's personal growth or some other kind of change you want to make, then yeah. We need the awareness. And you're, to your point, it absolutely takes mental discipline mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah, so, but it gets easier. It does. Yeah. It absolutely gets easier. Good. And then it can be kind of fun. So the one choice, one choice. leaning into awareness. Yeah. The second uh, is eight unpleasant feelings. And, and again, the feelings are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. And I can do a repeat if you want. I got them that's all, like, but that's really good. Okay. And people can rewind. Okay. So that's beautiful. Those are, those are what you've said are the most eight common unpleasant right. feelings. Right, right. So again, why, why the heck did I choose the eight? It was five and then it got to eight. So why these eight? Because they're the most common everyday spontaneous reactions to things not turning out the way we want or the way we perceive we need. Mm. So it's the everydayness of them. Can I just check in there too? Because I'm, I'm such an inquisitive mind. I'm so Please. curious. So Please. when you say these are the, the emotions we tend to feel when things don't go the way we wanted or the way we hoped for or expected those two, what are your thoughts and advice on that in terms of wants and expectations? Do you have any insight? On that, because I see this is so rampant, you know, especially for entrepreneurs, they they're so like goal oriented and so like hustle, and then they create these expectations because it's like it's almost like the shadow side of like you know vision boarding and visualizing and manifesting is that you create these expectations that then you are so anchored to that the moment something doesn't happen according to your plan, people are in a whole tizzy and breakdown. Right, right, right. Well, the and for me. I'm not going to say don't have expectations. I want yeah. the vision board. I absolutely want yeah. the vision board. Uh, but two things with that. Don't be held to having it happen your way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but hold the vision. Yes. 
But what people, and I, a friend of mine said this to me 40 years ago. Um, <laughs> she, said, she said, she said, basically hold the vision, let go of the form. Mm, yeah. So stay true to the vision. Mm-hmm. I want you to have that vision, but don't get caught up in it must occur your way. Because if it occurs your way, you're only giving it a narrow pathway to follow. And the universe may be way more creative than that. I always love to take, I, I love that you add that because just to keep that perspective and be reminded of that perspective that God or the universe has probably a far more creative way of bringing forth your vision. That's not really your, your job. Yeah. Right. That's good. Right. And so, the, and the other element for me around the expectation piece is think of success it's like one of the ways I talk about success is that we we disappoint our way to success. <laughs> yeah. So so it's like so have the expectations, but build in that you're going to be disappointed along the way. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Just build yeah. it in. And I think right? to add, your process just moves you through disappointment to disappointment or failure to failure faster. You know, when right. you hear all these entrepreneurs that no one believes it until they start experiencing it that. Failure is the pathway to success or failures are the stepping stone to success. We hear that and you don't really get it until you start experiencing it. And even the first few failures, people are like, no, I'm a failure because this thing failed and it's never going to work. And you're like, remember that quote? (laughs) You know, this is where you apply it. But I think where your process becomes so relevant is that it can move somebody through this faster. So it's like, you know, it's like this metaphor that I always use of, you know, you've always heard What do you do when you fall off the horse? You get back on. I think it's something like this that helps somebody get back on the horse even faster. So, yeah. So, you feel these undesirable emotions. You've fallen off the horse. And I think it's step three that really helps to get get you back on. So, step three is the... I would say step three is the method. But the thing that I really want people to stay dialed into, as much as the method is really important, it's your understanding of how profound these eight feelings are that's Mm. even more important. I think we'll probably get into that as we go along. So how do you handle it? Okay, so how do you lean into feelings? So again, this was my big question. In the late 1990s and the early 2000s, the neuroscience literature started to flourish. But before that, it wasn't, you know, there was the decade of the brain. And so lots of stuff started to come out. And so I started to get answers to those questions. And the first one was to realize that when most of us experience something emotionally, we experience it first as a bodily sensation. So what does that mean? So think embarrassment. You feel heat at the chest and then into the neck and then into the face. That's the bodily sensation. Or maybe a downward sensation in the, towards the heart that has to do with sadness or disappointment. Or I've had clients describe feeling anger at the back of the heat at the back of the neck anger at the arm. So it's like in the arms is another way to experience anger. It could be whatever it is for you and know that it's, there's a uniqueness to it for every single person. Is it consistent as well for each well, individual? Yeah. For each individual. Yeah. yeah generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's probably some variation depending on the intensity of the experience. Got it. But the intensity of the experience depends on the amount of biochemical that's rushing through your bloodstream. Mm. So you might be mildly embarrassed when there's less biochemicals flushing through. So, yeah. so how does this work? So the, the first thing is to understand that most of us experience unpleasant feelings through bodily sensation. The second part is to understand that they're short-lived. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, so I need to credit her for, for appropriately to credit her for the work. 
and the observation is Harvard-trained neuroscientist that said when a feeling fires off or gets triggered, there's a rush of biochemicals into the body that activate bodily sensations that flush out of the bloodstream in roughly 90 seconds. And I was always telling people to ride the wave, ride the wave, ride the wave. And turns out it's right. So the idea here is that that rush of biochemicals is the thing that activates those bodily sensations, like the embarrassment at the neck and face. And then they flush out of the bloodstream in 90 seconds. So the idea and what dawned on me is that, is that it's not that someone doesn't want to feel the whole range of what they feel. I believe they do because that's our, when we feel the whole range, we feel fully alive. We feel more mm. authentic and we're more confident. Mm -hmm. And so it's not about that. It's that we, what, I, what dawned on me is that we don't want to feel the bodily sensation that helps us know what we're feeling emotionally. And that's what all of us are trying to escape from. Or I would say most of us are trying to escape from. It's that bodily sensation. Yeah. So the idea is that if you can ride one or more short-lived bodily sensation waves of one or more of eight unpleasant feelings, you can pursue anything you want mm. in life. This is huge. This is, is this also the, but it's going to just speaking about this for a moment. When you say bodily sensation, is that synonymous with emotional outcome? The emotional outcome well, is the, emotional the bodily. Outcome, the emotional outcome is eight unpleasant feelings. So yes. Yeah. One of those be, bodily yes, sensations, yes, unpleasant yes. bodily sensations. Yes. So basically what you're saying, when we apply this specifically to the entrepreneur, you know, fear comes up a lot. Confidence comes up a lot. Even just other things of like stress and, and stuff like that. When an entrepreneur is afraid to do something, what you're really saying then is that they're afraid that if whatever happens, they're going to experience that unpleasant bodily sensation. And that's what they're afraid of. Yeah. So mm -hmm. here's my thing on an entrepreneur taking risks and when they back off from it. It's not the thing that they have to do that they're hesitant to do or that they that they would have a hard time doing. and let's let's give an, a specific example like going okay, live on facebook or something right doing your sure. first facebook live yeah 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 absolutely so then what's what's going to be the most obvious first thing that you're going to feel going live on facebook vulnerable mm. i could get hurt yeah that's the thinking behind vulnerability i could get hurt and so what does it take to deal with vulnerability it takes your capacity to handle the other seven feelings mm. oh by the way secret key right there, your ability to handle vulnerability is your capacity to know you can handle the other seven feelings. Wow. So if I am going to choose to go on to Facebook live, I've never done it before. Not only am I going to feel vulnerable, if it doesn't turn out well, what am I going to feel? Sad, disappointed, right? Embarrassed. Maybe angry, yeah. embarrassed, right? So it's going to be one or more of the other seven feelings. So that the key here is that it's not that you're afraid of taking the risk. You're afraid of facing the emotional outcome or one or more of those eight unpleasant feelings if it doesn't turn out the way you want. Yeah. And that's why you said earlier, this correlation you see to people with confidence and their ability to deal with these unpleasant you feelings. You got it. That's why it's the foundational piece. Yeah. And that's exactly why. And that's also where I have to assume that phrase that I've said a gajillion times on this, this show, and we've all heard so many times, is what you resist persists, right? Oh. So if someone is resisting or in some way suppressing or ignoring one of these 
by eight bodily sensations, unpleasant bodily sensations. Wow. I love this. So just to recap it, the Rosenberg reset is three simple steps. It's the choice to choose awareness, awareness of how you're feeling. Is then the step two is just to identify which of the eight emotions. So so you're having a reaction. Think of it as the the, the emotional equivalent of stubbing your toe. (laughs) Right. It's it's short. It's short lived. Yeah. So I have a reaction like, you know, my spouse didn't get what he or she was supposed to get from the grocery store. I'm disappointed. He or she did it again. Right. So but it's short lived. It's not it's not long. Yeah. And that's what the step three is, is to just ride the wave. (laughs) Feel it. And right. And be in touch with what you're experiencing. Be in touch with it and And feel it. There's more that follows that, which I can touch on if you'd like, but because you can deepen the understanding of what you're experiencing. There's more to do with it. So to stay with it, breathe. Mm -hmm. Don't swallow and don't tighten your muscles and don't stop breathing. Yeah. The way we stay present to a feeling is to kind of breathe with it and breathe through it. So breathe so that you can be aware of what you're experiencing and then see if you can notice what it's attached to. What triggered the thought? What triggered the reaction? Mm. So that now, now you engage your thinking process and so not just feeling and being reactive. Now you want to engage your thinking process and go, okay, well, what, you know, what's this linked to? What caused this? What, what was the catalyst for this? And then if you want to take another step further and you're sort of in touch with what it's linked to, you can also start to ask questions about whether it's linked to the past as well. It's like, is this any pattern to this? Or that you can take it at the other direction and go, all right, right now, is there anything that I need to make a decision about relative to what I'm feeling? Is there anything that I need to express relative to what I'm feeling? And is there anything that I need to take an action on hmm. relative to what I'm feeling. So there's, there's stuff in quotes to do with the feeling once you've experienced sure. it. So just to give somebody a little bit of the expectations, because <laughs> it's just so funny. It's like, it's so simple, but it's not talked about, you know, in most circles, right? You don't learn this in, in school. I always joke about that. Like we don't learn about our emotions in, in school growing up or anything. Right. What can someone expect when they do this, when they feel that and get present to that emotion for 90 seconds? Uh, the, the, list, the list is long. <laughs> for me, there's a moment of congruence. Hmm. So you'll actually feel a little bit more yourself. Hmm. Uh, like you're more comfortable in your own skin. I think that happens over a longer period of time, but you'll, you'll, there's a, you'll start to notice it right away. The first thing is to me is that there's an organic lift. So even if I'm sad, the fact that I'm allowing myself to be sad, that congruence actually provides an emotional lift for me. A relief. Um, there's a relief because the, yeah. the, do- the self is doing what the self is supposed to be doing, right? It's allowing the expression of the feeling to move through. It's not natural for us to shut down. It's defensive on our part to shut down. Yeah. So that what I notice is that and if you stay in the practice of it, you start feeling better. Now, now you're not just feeling better, you're actually getting better. It really is the Chinese finger cuffs of our uh, emotions. You know, it's like you really have to go in. You have to, you would think, okay, I got to pull out. I got I to gotta fight this. I got to get, uh, avoid it. Because what I focus on is what I'm going to get more of. But it is so, it's so crazy. I don't know. It's just like this uh, catch 22, you know, cosmic yeah. joke that we are. 
Right. Like- <laughs> uh, right. So then, so then authenticity follows confidence follows. I mean, the, yeah. the more you, the more you stay engaged in doing this, yeah. but, the, but in an, in the moment experience is one of congruence, feeling like things line up a little bit and kind of a little bit of an organic lift, and, even though it's upsetting. And to add to this, I think ultimately in the end of the day, you get, you get a sense of, of freedom that I think all entrepreneurs are searching for. And this is something I've been bringing up on the last few episodes because it's been coming to mind is so many entrepreneurs become an entrepreneur because they have that, that uh, hunger for some sense of freedom. And then we joke, of course, because you end up working twice as long as you would in a job and become more chained to the business you're creating. Yeah, Yeah, of course, we've all been there. And and so what I started saying is if if we don't have a a sense of mental, emotional freedom first, how do you ever expect to experience freedom anywhere else in your life or business? And just to kind of recap again, what you're saying is that so much of what we fear is the emotional outcome, the unpleasant bodily sensation of right. taking that risk or doing that live or s- sharing that speech or your vulnerable perspective or truth on Facebook, that when you have had the, those experiences, more experiences of fully feeling those uncomfortable emotions, you're getting confidence and experience with yes. that. Absolutely. And Absolutely. When, the more you do that, that the, the very thing that you fear you know, you lose his power over you and it disappears. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, yes. So for me to use your word, what my experience is, is that the, once you know that you have the capacity to experience them through the eight unpleasant feelings, it's liberating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because now you know that you can take the actions you need to take and you can speak up in situations you need to speak up in. And then you, you live a fully authentic life, a confident, resilient and authentic life. And so it, it's like, it is funny though, because what we all, why this is so simple, but feels so counterintuitive is that it's, and maybe you can speak to this for a moment. It's like, we associate the uh, undesirable, uncomfortable body sensation to the thing, to the task, like doing the Facebook live, like that thing has me feel this way. So I just won't do that thing. Right. Right. And then it really has power over you. Right. But my, and most people don't think that it's not the thing. They don't understand. It's not the thing. It's actually the emotional outcome of the thing that yes. they're avoiding. Yeah. So they say, oh, every time I think about doing a Facebook live, I, I just start freaking out and panicking. You know, that's not what's causing the Facebook live ain't doing anything. <laughs> Do exactly. you? It's just, exactly. it's just being a Facebook live. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. I think where that freedom begins, you know, because if yes. you think that everything else in the world is causing you to, you know, just feel the way and you have no control over it and can't choose what you feel or not feel, then that wouldn't be very much freedom at all. Right. Um, let me, I don't want to go too far down this, but let's just ask it. All right. So what are the implications or consequences of not doing this, of in continuing to suppress, ignore, and avoid these eight unwanted emotions? Well, you name the distraction. So we, I talked about a bunch before. Mm-hmm. So it could be eating problems. It could be drug or other substance use problems. It could be debt from shopping. It could be uh, impaired relationships. It could be not feeling comfortable in your own skin. Could be increased anxiety. Could be Physical symptoms, because what doesn't get emotionalized tends to get physicalized. Yeah. It could be depression, could be numbness, could be emptiness, could be what I call soulful depression, 
And if it gets really, really bad, then it could go down the route of suicidality. Yeah. Well, I want to I wanna hear what soulful depression is in a moment from you, but it just brings up a, a great episode that we've done. I, I don't know how much you know about my story, but it, I, right after uh, uh, I got married, my back gave out and I was in like the worst scary back pain. Like I was in tears, couldn't move. And I thought I was paralyzed. People were saying, I think you've slipped a disc. You're going to need surgery kind of thing. I did a whole episode. We actually brought the author on, but the short version is I, after I went into the darkest of dark places, like this is my life now. And then of course you put guilt and shame on top of it. It's like, oh my gosh, this, this beautiful woman that I married is now married to somebody who's going to be like some sort of cripple. Like, gosh, I might as well just let her free. You know, I was going into some dark places. Uh, and it was about four in the morning. We were actually in Croatia. So, you know, it's not like I want to go get surgery in more of a third world country or second world country. It was kind of in between. And so at about three or four in the morning, I went to like just a deep meditation and asked for guidance. And I got this image. It was a memory. And it was a memory of me listening to a podcast from years before that I actually skipped through. It was Joe Polish, I Love Marketing. And on that episode that I skipped, he had brought on a guy to talk about back pain. I was like, I don't want back pain. I skipped it. It was years earlier. And I went and found the episode again. I found the book and there's an author named Steve Ozanich. And he wrote a book called Great Pain Deception. I forget the name. That he. It's all based off the of work of a doctor who recently passed away. And I'm forgetting his name, but it will come to me. It's all the same stuff. It's, it's, he says, don't you find it fascinating that like it's mostly men that are experiencing back pain? Not all, but it's a lot of men. And he says, it's by and large, it's unexpressed rage. Right? It's like this repressed anger that we haven't felt or processed. And I kid you not, from two days I went to, I can't move and I'm in tears. I was like crying pain of tears, worst pain of my life, to going back on our honeymoon and I'm like diving off a diving board and <laughs> into the pool, like backstroke and swimming in two days. Right? Because I finally dealt with, you know, what I was was repressing. Wow. Yeah. So that yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's real yes. and um, yes. we'll have to link thanks, that episode. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. Too. Yeah, no, I mean that's I was what, not aware of it. Yeah, that, that I that's why this stuff is is so important to me, you know. And then there's that metaphor, and I'm sure you're familiar with this. I don't know if you use this at all, but it's a whole metaphor of like seeing a movie. I'm a movie buff. I went to film school, and it's like any movie you watch where it's happy, 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 the end, and there's no conflict, there's no drama, you would say is the worst movie you've ever seen. But, a great right. movie is great because it has you feel something. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yep. And, and isn't that what we came here to do too, right? Exactly, um, yes. So before I do ask about the soulful depression, I was curious, and maybe I got to ask it a few ways, but what is your definition of emotions? Like what are our emotions? And I understand it's like what you were saying about a chemical release and it's associated with that. But I guess partly I want to know, like from your perspective, what are the function of our emotions? Like why do we uh, you have know, them? And if I, I actually studied with Dan Siegel for a number of years and, and Siegel talks about emotion as energy in motion. Mm -hmm. He talks about emotion as being both, let's see if I can get this right, integrating. It forms the function of being the thing itself plus the process. So that emotion actually integrates many of our brain functions and it's kind of the thing itself. So it's, it's and I'm, I have other definitions going through my head too. Others will talk about it as a vibration mm -hmm. that it's a, again, it's a, it's a, it's a response 
but it but it actually is an essential part of helping our brain function and function as an integrated whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, but this the simplest is to call it, talk about it as energy and emotion. Right. No, I love that. That's that's great. Okay, so can you share a little bit about what is soulful depression? Yeah. Again, what I what I would notice is that. And I, I drew. I mentioned a diagram in the book that I, I nobody has privy to, but um, <laughs> but it was the thing. It was it became the blueprint. This diagram that I drew became the blueprint for all my work. And what ended up happening is that I, what I would notice is that people would come in. Again, the first layer of it is to start with distractions, which I've named a few a couple different times mm-hmm. already. And so, like substance use or shopping or that sort of thing, and that. If people persisted in doing that, that they would start feeling more anxious because they were actually not being congruent. They weren't being fully themselves. They were distracting from the truth of what was going on, like the suppressed rage that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And as that would continue, then what would end up happening is that people would start to describe that they felt, if it got worse and it was a longer period of time, they would describe feeling like they were numb or that they felt empty inside or they felt lonely, they felt detached, and they would start to talk about feeling depressed. Mm. But if I could get them to stay present to the feelings and start to link to the feelings, that's one of the three ways out of it, um, that they would stop feeling that stuff. They would stop describing it. So when people would come in and talk about feeling depressed, I would start to listen for other things that they were or were not doing to make sure that they weren't feeling clinically depressed and instead it was probably what I would call soulful depression mm-hmm. or a disconnection right. from the self. So I think of soulful depression as someone who has disconnected from themselves by trying not to, and the phrase I use for this is they've stayed down a pathway of trying not to know what they know. Mm. Wow. As opposed to allowing themselves yeah. To know what they know. And then you talk about in the book where when that that change happens, there's like a rush that happens. Can you talk about that? Because I found that pretty funny. You do in terms of uh, in when people start to be in the knowing? Well, well, yeah. When people finally start saying, okay, fine, Dr. Rosenberg, I'll start having awareness. I'll start feeling right. again and what right. begins to happen. Yeah. No. Well, I, I liken it to, uh, to people hanging out at a favorite technology store waiting <laughs> waiting to uh waiting to get in on on uh, black, black friday, friday. Yeah. yeah yeah so so the the whole thing is is that understand that when you when you shut down on feeling and and you go all right i'm going to open myself up to it and one of the fears that people have about doing that is that that I'll, they'll be out of control the feelings will overwhelm or they'll they'll last forever mm-hmm. and none of the three no i mean Mostly none of the three is true. <laughs> they might feel intense for a bit, but that, mm-hmm. that subsides. And so that the idea here is that when you're going, all right, now I'm going to allow myself to feel, understand that the first initial times you start to do it, it's like, it's like all the feelings lining up behind that glass door waiting to get in. <laughs> and, and they're all looking at each other and go, all right, when the door opens, rush. Right. So <laughs> you, get this, you get this intensity at the front end, but I want people to understand part of the intensity is not what's just being felt in the current time. It's what's being felt in the moment plus the past stuff that's going, oh, open door, go. Yeah. Right? We don't know how long that door's going to stay open. Is it the same as like 
was it Newton's laws of physics, like no energy is either created or destroyed. So when someone finds a way to distract themselves, they may not be feeling it on a, that a negative or sorry, unpleasant emotion right, on a right. conscious level, but it doesn't mean it's gone away. Right. Well, yes. And, and then that's when you start to get the back aches, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. when you start to get stomach aches, that nausea, anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Then, it, then it starts to take its place in, in the physical body. Mm. Right. So we want to keep it at the emotional level because then it doesn't land in the physical body. Right. That should be good motivator right there. <laughs> I mean, oh my God. Yes. That, that's why that book was so powerful for me. Cause I was like, okay, got it. I am going to be far more intentional with it. Like feeling, getting present to and having awareness. This has been so awesome. Now, knowing that most of my audience is entrepreneurs, uh, hopefully they can, you guys listening can see how this is immediately applicable to every area of your life. What do you think would be the next beneficial thing to talk about? I know you mentioned resilient thinking. Is that something you want to touch upon or is there something else? I would go the route of speaking up first because it's okay, not great. just enough. Yeah, I would not. It's And I'm not sure what your time frame is here, but I can go for a while yet. So it's up to you. Yeah, let's keep going. Uh, okay. All right. The next most important thing from a developing confidence standpoint, uh, and I think would be super important is this idea of speaking up. So it's it's being able to say what you want to say, to whom, when, where, all those kinds of things, except there's a big caveat wrapped around this. It doesn't give you license to be malicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't give you license to just be harshly truthful because my, my belief is that it needs to come from a positive, kind, and well-intended place. Yeah. So yes, I want you speaking up and I want you speaking up with the understanding that it's from a positive, kind, and well-intended place. Mm -hmm. So why is speaking up so important? Again, therapists all over, and I did it early in my career too, would say, well, you need to speak up. You need to speak up. And yes, that was true. But I I didn't have the level of understanding about it at that point. And the the truth of the matter is, is that speaking up for me would be a, a second major way to develop confidence. And in fact, I believe it's like the super glue Mm. to confidence. I just think this is such an important conversation because something else has been coming up for me that I've been wanting to chat about on the podcast. This is kind of this, this phenomenon of this like universal social pressure that most people face that becomes Mm -hmm. one of, if not overall, like the biggest fear that people have is this like, you know, nebulous pressure of they, what will they say, think if I do this? And, and you just see how rampant and apparent, it especially becomes on, on social media, you know, people speak in their mind, but, you know, putting down someone else's perspective and this, you know, right versus wrong. And, and yeah, so I'm just glad you're talking about this. Yeah, no, well, the, so the, to me, those are two separate things. Okay. Uh, Well, they're not separate, they're linked, but they're two, I have different ways to think about both of those. So in one case, you're talking about worry about what other people think of you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, which is what I, and, and for me, that is a distraction from feeling vulnerable. The worry is a distraction. Yes. From feeling yes. So if yeah. I'm going to worry, if I'm going to worry James about what you think of me and about what I'm saying, Whoa. right. Then what I'm doing is I'm using that as a distraction. Of, so it's a thought hijack mm-hmm. of my own vulnerability. So I'll just worry about what you think as opposed to be in touch with my own vulnerability. Is that also saying that 
vulnerability is more of an unpleasant emotion than worry. And that's why somebody would do that. I wouldn't want to call it that way because mm-hmm. I don't think of it as a more unpleasant feeling, I, but I, it's the essence of our beingness, mm. right? The survival depends on our vulnerability. So then right. if I have, we're, all, we're, we're, we're all vulnerable. So, but so that, and we're all trying to survive, right? Yeah. So it's, it, it's never, it never leaves us. It's yeah. just the degree to which we're aware of it. Then why would somebody want to distract themselves? Why do we distract ourselves from it? Because we don't want to deal with uh, neither. We don't want to deal with what it feels like to feel vulnerable mm-hmm. because sometimes it anchors to feelings of embarrassment and it anchors to feelings of helplessness. Okay. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't want to feel that. And it means that depending on how we, what we're facing, either what we're choosing into or what we're facing, then it means dealing with the other unpleasant feelings. Okay. So why do I not want to feel vulnerable? Why, why do I want to be out of touch with that? Because of those reasons. Yeah. And it just feels uncomfortable. <laughs> that just feels uncomfortable. That's <laughs> and I right. like it. Yeah. So yeah. worry becomes a distraction. Like let's worry just worry, is about, a dis- mm-hmm. worry about what other people think okay. of you is a distraction. Yeah. From unpleasant feelings. But you're also saying that when you're talking about speaking up, you're kind of talking about something different than just worrying about what other people are yes. thinking. Okay. Yes. So speaking up. So, and I'm talking about the gamut. So whether mm-hmm. it's whether it's that I want to have a conversation with you that's going to involve potentially a disagreement or some mis- misunderstanding or a conflict or admonishing or whatever, or that I need to address something that we're behaviorally that's not going right or not doesn't suit me, whatever it is. And it also includes the gamut of, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you, how much I like you, and, or how much I love you, and how much I want to spend more time with you. So it's, the, it's from the conflictual to the intimate, mm. right? Yeah. And I want somebody to have the capacity to do the whole continuum. Can you give a specific example or advice on how one can speak up when you say, you know, don't have a license to be malicious, amen. Yes. But when you need to speak up about something that may not be what the other person wants to hear, like a no or a rejection of sorts, how do you navigate that and and, and advise the people you work with to navigate those scenarios? Because I think that's one reason why people don't. They're like, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to upset them. You know, so what are your thoughts there? <laughs> Lots of thoughts running through my head. That's why I'm laughing. Because <laughs> the conflict doesn't go away. It's just a matter of where it resides. It either resides out in the open between you or it resides inside. Mm. Conflict doesn't go away. Yeah. Wow. And then if you're not speaking up when you need to be, then now you're being inauthentic. And yeah. now it's costing you. Mm-hmm. So I, I, in the book, I talk about throwing a Kleenex on the floor between me and a client because we were talking about a situation in their life where they weren't speaking up. I said, there, there's the conflict right there. I said, you can see it. Well, I can see it. You can see it. It's out in the open where we can both deal with it. And then I picked up the Kleenex. Actually, I have one right here. I can do it actually <laughs> as we're doing this. I picked up the Kleenex off the floor and then I went like this and stuck it in my shirt. <laughs> and yeah. I, said, I said, if I don't say anything, the conflict doesn't go away. It's wow. just where it resides. Yeah. So, but now if it, if it doesn't, if something doesn't get expressed, that needs to get expressed now that now it's the inauthenticity and what are somebody going to describe? They're going to describe feeling more anxious. Mm. Yeah. Cause of the, in, the incongruence. My question there, it's not really like a devil's advocate question. It's more like, Please? 
when someone's doing that, like I've seen, I, I've, I can count to so many examples of my life, like dealing with any humanoid, right? You're going to, you're going to have conflict. It's kind of this unavoidable thing we signed up for. Yes. How yes. much of it, is there a line where it's like, you know what, this is my stuff. And like, I got offended by something they said, I can just drop this and let it go and move on. Now there's no conflict versus like, they said something it's offending me and I'm not going to let this go. We need to put it out in the open and deal with it. Like, where is that right. line? How does someone know how to discern that? Cause I found myself in that. It's like, maybe I, you know, maybe I can just let this go. Well, if you're still thinking about it, then it hasn't gone anywhere. Right. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. So if it's really something light and it's like, okay, this is some of the habit pattern. I just need to get used to this is who the person is and it's okay. And it's really clean and you move on. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. But if you keep, if you're still thinking about it, and you're not actively trying to shut it down, then it needs, it's better said. And okay. I would say more things are better said than not. So think about it. I am a psychologist and my life, my professional life is built around telling people what they don't want to hear every day. <laughs> <laughs> my life is built on this. I don't know. That sounds right? kind of fun <laughs> if you ask me. And my professional life is built on it. It's like, thank you very much. Like, yeah. Come to me so I can tell you what you don't want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> right? I give like, you what you it, need, not what you want. <laughs> exactly. So, but and but most people won't experience it as hurtful. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the intention is positive, kind. Yeah. Well, and I think even just using the Kleenex example is important too, because it's pointing a finger at a a situation, not right. the person. Correct. You know. So like, yeah. Yeah. Like so, you're this so, type yeah, so, of person. You suck. Yeah. Right, right. So the thing is, is that there's uh, friends of mine that'll call it this, the sweaty 10 minute conversation. <laughs> I need to have a sweaty 10 minute conversation with you. So they'll do a prelude. So uh, what I talk about is what in the book, I talk about what I call a preemptive bid. And the preemptive bid is basically, especially if you're anticipating some kind of pushback, then you talk about the pushback before you talk about the topic pushback and like you're inviting them to have this conversation and there's yeah, pushback so, with that. Yeah. So, so let's say I was coming to you, James, to mm -hmm. talk about something and your tendency was to minimize it or to play it down. Mm -hmm. That's and, the pushback. But it was really important to me. Yeah. Then what I would do is say, you know what, James, I, I really want to talk to you about something, but my concern is that if I tell you what it is, that you might play it down mm. or you might, you might go, eh, it's not a big deal. But the truth is, is it's actually a really big deal to me. Now, I haven't said anything about what the issue is yet. Mm -hmm. But the pull for the listener starting like that is to go, oh, no, no, I won't do that. <laughs> yeah. Right? You're just addressing so an I'm, objection. Yeah. That's great. Right. Right. <laughs> so now I can go in and I can say the thing. And mm -hmm. if there's a temptation to put it down, then you can say, you know what? Unfortunately, this is what I was concerned about. Yeah. What or this is why it's hard for me to bring important topics up to you. Mm. That and, I want to talk to you about. And can you even go a little deeper with like, what are some specific language tools that one can use? So, okay, great. I'm open. You know, uh, what, what do you want to share with me? How do you advise bringing that up in a way that isn't just like completely shut down that other person? It, well, it's, well, first of all, it's not, a, it's not a command that it's not a demand. Okay. It's the use of I. Mm-hmm. I feel. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people talk about the, there's a prescription kind of, I feel when you, mm -hmm. and then whatever the behavior is. So it's a focus on the behavior, not the person. Yeah. And like when you don't, 
you know, put the toothpaste cap on the, t- right? Oh, the worst. I, I yeah, that. exactly. So, right. <laughs> so whatever the behavior is, and then it's, I would prefer that. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's great. What a great little uh, yeah. tool and, right there. And, and drop always and nevers. We're talking about talking, but we're not, ta- I, for me, let me, let me give you the kind of the, what I think is the kind of the masterful stuff around it. Mm. So the importance of speaking up, we think, and again, early in my professional life, I would have thought it was to get what you want. And I don't believe that anymore. Would I tell somebody they need to speak up to try to get what they want? Yes. That's not the goal. Getting what you want is the benefit. The goal of speaking up is to grow you. Mm. Yeah. So all those situations where you go, well, maybe I can just let it go. And it's the, where's that fine line? It's like, no, 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 no. You speak up to grow you. So good and so, so true. <laughs> right? It has, yeah. nothing, has nothing to do with whether you should address that conflict or not. Mm-hmm. Right? It has everything to do with growing you as a human being. And you don't get to evolve some of your human beingness until you're practiced at saying the things that you need to be saying. Yeah. And the truth is that we think we know ourselves and then we speak and we think that we're supposed to be confident and then we speak. And it's actually the opposite. It's as you speak and through speaking, you develop confidence. And as you speak, you actually come to know yourself better. Mm. So why do I want people speaking up? Because it will grow them. It will evolve them. Amen. That's so beautiful. And then here's kind of my last question on that. I feel like we sit there and say, okay, guys, go out and speak up. Where do they start? Like, I feel like for people, these things can be remain hidden. The things that they need to speak up the most on. Right. Where can someone start to look? What's an area in their life where they can start to say, this is something that I have not been speaking up about? Well, I think that they know what those topics are, actually. Okay. I, I mean, I think, I, pe- I think people know what they hide. Okay. And the reason they're hiding, it has nothing to do with the other person. Right. Right. And, th- and I want to make that really clear. It's rare that it's about the other person. Mm-hmm. I know you say, I don't want to hurt, I don't want to hurt the other person. The truth is you don't want to deal with the unpleasant feelings of the other person. <laughs> so a conversation, whether again, whether it's conflictual or whether it's intimate, means that not only do I have to deal with the discomfort of my own emotional discomfort, the eight unpleasant feelings, mm-hmm. I have to simultaneously to have that conversation, experience the discomfort of your emotional discomfort, yeah. the same eight unpleasant feelings. Wow. So the only reason I won't engage in that conversation is because I don't want to deal with the unpleasant feelings in, in me or in you. Yeah. Wow. That is so powerful and so awesome that, and that so simple. Which That's has, the beauty of the whole thing. Yeah. It's as much as the 90 seconds is important. Yeah. It's your understanding of how the eight feelings work mm-hmm. is the critical piece. And I've been telling this, especially to my masterminders for years, because I, I help them a lot with like building a team. And so you talk about the the trickiness of human dynamics and relationships. Yeah. Now put that in a team building environment and it can get tricky fast. And I remember one of my master members was avoiding a conversation. And they were telling me like, I was like, how is it going with such and such team member? And they're like, it's complicated. And I just remember telling them, I said, and it will remain complicated to the degree in which you continue to avoid having this conversation. That's right. That's right. And it's so fascinating. And I had to learn that as a leader. I was talking on another podcast recently how 
leadership was the hardest thing I had to learn. And it's so much about this, like your ability to just have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody and, and go through the eye of the needle and to the other side. And then you realize, yeah, I'm, a, I'm still alive. I'm okay. And you get better and better at that. But things get so much, you have to, you can't avoid it in a, as a boss, as a leader, as a CEO. You can't avoid, we are firing people, you know, and, and disciplining people. And we, we as entrepreneurs, don't want to discipline other people. Or, right. We didn't want to be right. disciplined, so we definitely don't want to discipline others. And you have to do those things. And the degree in which you are willing to have those uncomfortable conversations, I've seen the relationships improve, performance improve, and things just get more simple. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah, and so I love I love this. Um, this is this is so great, and I could keep going on forever and ever with you. I want to be mindful of time, so thank you so much. Let, let's take a moment. And first off, I want everyone grabbing your book because it's amazing. And you even told me like, oh, it gets better as you go. So I'm excited to continue reading it. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about your book, and then you know where people can get it and all that type of stuff? Yeah, sure. That with a again, the book really is a roadmap for people to help them understand how to build confidence, resilience, and authenticity and live an authentic life. And it really, for people who've backed away from their feelings, it's going to give you, a, as, as we've talked about, it doesn't get any more in quotes simple than this. Mm-hmm. There are certainly complexities to it. And what I know is that if you really follow the map through the book, you'll have ways to handle anxiety. You'll be able to identify faulty thinking patterns that really get in the way, harsh self-criticism being one of those, and the importance of getting rid of that and stopping that bad news behavior. And speaking up, there's uh, there's probably the longest chapter in the book. And I also talk about resilience. I talk about... And one, one piece that is actually profound is I actually give people a roadmap to make sense of life experiences, difficult life experiences early in life. Mm. Um, something I call disguised grief. So, for instance, if somebody is bitter or resentful or holds grudges, to me, that's all disguised grief. And I, so I give people a, a way to actually make sense of those life experiences and the impact it had on them across uh-huh. time. So it's really, it really becomes a great personal development tool if somebody yeah. wants to use it in that way to actually really grow and, and change their lives. So I'm grateful for the response to it, the book. It's, uh, it's been very favorable and where they can get it anywhere they buy books so mm-hmm. amazon um, whatever we'll uh, we'll link yeah. that all up in the show notes as well so you guys can uh, grab a copy it's been amazing um dr rosenberg any final thoughts before we wrap up to call this episode complete the one that i would say it's sort of in the direction of uh, kind of resilience and mm-hmm. resilience attitude but i want people to get in the habit of thinking speaking and taking action in the direction that they want to head. Mm. Amen. I love so, that. In the direction, yes. So think, speak, and act in the direction you want to go. Yes. So and, and drop everything else that's yeah. not relevant. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to hear the feedback from this episode. Are you on the social medias? Are you on the Instagrams or anything I am, like that? I am. I'm on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the handles are probably Dr. John Rosenberg. Instagram, Twitter. Cool. Facebook, LinkedIn, and then I speak and train. So awesome. I, I'm, I've done a lot of, again, doing a lot of these as well. Yeah. So. so great. Well, we'll link all that up so that our listeners can reach out to you and share which segment of this show had the most impact on them. So you guys I'd make sure that. to do that. So thank you again so much. I so appreciate it. 
And thank you to our listeners. If you're still here hearing my voice, that means you've made it to the end. And I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this incredible episode with Dr. Joan Rosenberg. All right, you guys, take care and we'll see you in the next episode. Did you know eight out of 10 businesses fail within their very first 18 months? I believe being an entrepreneur means unlearning everything that we've been taught our entire lives about what it really means to be successful, which is why I've created a brand new audio program entitled Activate. I wanna show you how to think, act, and behave like the successful entrepreneur that you were meant to be so you can step into the vision that you have for your life and your business. And the best part is this program is yours absolutely free. To register right now, simply visit www.jameswedmore.com forward slash activate and we can get started right now.